Welcome to Stories After Midnight. Today we'll be reading a story called Christmas Eve 2021. I knew something was immediately wrong when the unaccompanied miners lounge in a certain airport had screens you could not look away from. It's by Trash Tia. And a huge shout out to my patrons for helping make this video possible and every video hereafter. I really appreciate it. And thank you for listening. Let's get started. Airports are a war zone during the holidays. But I had a theory. Okay, hear me out. I, I was tired. I hadn't slept in almost three days due to overdue homework and college applications. I had not had a decent meal for maybe a week, and every time I blinked rapidly, I swear I could hear colors and taste shapes in my mouth. Squares were my favorite. They tasted like strawberries. Anyway, I wasn't doing great mentally and physically. And all I wanted to do was get on a flight home after spending what felt like a century with dad. With three hours to kill, a dead phone and half a brain cell left, I could do nothing but sit and watch the holiday chaos around me with squinty eyes and listen to last Christmas play on the intercom for the 100th damn time. My theory was brainwashing. Last Christmas is a great song, right? It's relaxing, romantic and cheerful which makes it the perfect song to control the masses without them even knowing. I've heard different countries use tactics to control their youth. In Europe, they play classical music in train stations and public places as a calming technique. But this was different. This wasn't calming. This was CIA-level torture, which made it the perfect unseen weapon. I know I've lost you, and trust me, I would have lost myself just listening to this crap too. I had nothing else to think about, truly. My entire being had been taken over by George Michael, by that melody, those lyrics. It had snaked its way into my mind and leached onto me. Exhibit A. I turned my half-lidded eyes to a family of four sitting across from me. Two screaming kids and a mom and dad who looked like they wanted to crawl into the ground. Their expression showed that they were ready to blow, to start yelling and screaming and demanding. However, they stayed perfectly calm. The mom kept her attention glued to her phone, ignoring her kids, and the dad stared at the ground. I noticed there were two types of people. There were the people who had been sitting in the terminal for over three hours, and then the newcomers practically throwing themselves through security like wild animals. The people sitting and standing around me were relaxed. Sure, they looked pissed, they looked irritated and impatient. Their expressions twitched into not-quite-smiles and squinty eyes. But did they do anything? No, because they had listened to last Christmas sputter through the intercom for the last three hours, and their minds had been stirred into a giant, soupy mess. Their will to start unnecessary arguments was gone. Their knee-jerking impulse to compliment the pathetic attempt at decorations around the terminal? Gone. Even their ability to act impatient, to roll their eyes and be passive-aggressive. While the newcomers? Exhibit B. Oh, they were a different breed. The newcomers did not belong in our territory. Territory which we had fought for. I had sat on the same damn seat for almost four hours. I had watched YouTube videos I didn't even like. I had scrolled through Twitter and Instagram so much I was seeing the same tweets the same posts. I had even found myself mindlessly looking through my settings app, which was the bottom of the barrel. My patience was gone. My ability to ask if this flight even existed 
gone. Newcomers, however, were far more vocal. They yelled. They yelled at their kids, at their significant others as well as staff. They were bumbling balls of energy while we were rotting inside. We had succumbed to the intercom's cruel will, forming a kind of family. Though a little old woman sitting next to me who I thought was dead, she was family. The teenager playing League on his laptop, family. The group of 20-something-year-old women all watching Stranger Things at the highest volume, how did I know that? They're squealing. Their obsession with quoting every single sentence. Their erratic bursts of synchronous laughter, which did not fit a group of grown-ass women, but to each their own. You can enjoy whatever you want. Even they were family. Hell, even the middle-aged woman who acted like I'd committed a war crime when I dared eat my tuna sandwich near her. Family. The group of us had made it to the finish line. We would sit there for however much longer the planes were delayed and listen to that stupid song and would hate every second of it. Each lyric would turn our brains and bodies inside out and make us consider murder, death, suicide, because plunging a knife into the back of my head repeatedly would be better. Being waterboarded would be better. Anything. My goodness, anything would be better than that song. George Michael had us all by the throat and didn't we all know it? At least, that was my theory. Until the family I thought had succumbed to the intercom sort of snapped. And it was a domino effect. All it took was a crack and they were all splintering. The ones I thought had been silenced began to complain loudly. Kids I thought were asleep started to scream. Even the little old lady stood up and demanded to know when we were boarding. So yeah, that theory went out the window. I think it was the 100th or 101st playthrough when I started to doze off, letting my head drop onto my chest. I'd been trying to stay awake, but there was only a certain amount of times my brain could register the same song, before it became gibberish, and I lost myself under multiple layers of irony. I thought I was hallucinating when a shadow loomed over me. When they spoke, they were in fact not the lyrics to Last Christmas, which almost shocked me. I was dumbfounded. I had half a mind to ignore them. I just wanted to sleep. I wanted so badly to escape George Michael and his wicked grip on my mind. I just... My being. It was only when someone gently grabbed my shoulder and nudged me did realization start to bleed into my brain. The woman's voice was kind, but also impatient. When I shook her off, she shoved me again. This time a little bit harder, prodding me in the back and then my makeshift pillow which was just my jacket I'd fashioned into a headrest. Excuse me, miss? My body jerked, and I forced myself to lift my head, blinking through fraying light. There was an oldish woman standing over me. She looked well put together, a neat uniform and strict ponytail pinning back straggly blonde hair. The boy playing league three seats away suddenly looked uncomfortable. He was shifting in his seat, his hands wrapped around his backpack, it took me a disorienting moment to realize he was planning on making a break for it. I watched him stand up, halfway, before slumping back down. His laptop clutched to his chest. His eyes flicked back and forth, and he was looking for an escape route. But there was only one escape route, and that was through security. The kid met my gaze for a moment, and I automatically read his expression. His eyes were wide with panic, lips curled in disdain. He was waiting for the woman to start talking to me, and that was when he was going to make his grand escape. 
Unlucky for him, however, he too was on her radar. Stay where you are, she said. The woman was looking at me, but her words were directed at him. The kid sunk back into his chair. Oh no. I knew what her words were going to be before they left her upturned lips, like it secretly thrilled her to hunt down stray kids. <clears throat> How old are you? The woman cleared her throat. By law, children under the age of 18 are required to use our unaccompanied minor service. I thought about lying. 18 wasn't that far away. Just a year. But I did have a baby face. For my birthday, I tried to get into a club. Unsuccessful. The guy taking IDs just laughed at me. A 17? That is classified as a minor. I I'm 18 in six months. She chuckled. But you're not 18 yet, correct? The words slipped from my mouth before I could bite them back. So am I in some kind of trouble, or...? The woman nodded and straightened up, pointing to the panel above us displaying my delayed flight. From the look on her face, I had given her the exact answer she wanted. Lies. I could see that she was tired. The dark circles she was trying to hide with makeup were a giveaway. I figured she was using her influence and so-called power to feel better about herself, which was valid. If I worked in an airport, of course I'd make up reasons to yell at people. After being screamed at all day, customer service, obedient slaves with a meager wage. The kids several seats away seemed to make a decision to get up and run, but another guard had caught him. Flying without a parent or guardian puts you under our responsibility. Your flight is not due until tomorrow. To my annoyance, she gestured for me to get to my feet. If you would like to follow me, please? Speaking in an overly enthusiastic tone, the guard was friendly enough, but she wore a no-nonsense smile. When I sent her a pained look, she grabbed my coat and bag for me. I'm not going to ask again. I started to get up, catching the eyes of the little old woman. She handed me a wrapped candy. At least, some people were apathetic. Satisfied, the guard turned her attention to the boy, who had paled significantly. And you? He curled his lip. His deer-caught-in-the-headlights expression wasn't helping. What about me? How old are you? I could practically sense the cogs turning in his head. Like me, the kid was also considering lying, and he would be able to get away with it. He acted far older than he was. The only thing which gave him away was a school crest on his jacket. I hadn't noticed it until fully drinking him in. Initially, I thought he was a college kid, but looking closer, his face was younger maybe 15 or 16. What I thought was a simple sweater was actually school uniform. He looked like a private school kid, which explained the sudden attitude and the expensive-looking laptop clutched to his chest. I'm 16. His answer delighted her. Oh, well, would you look at that? Two miners hanging around an airport terminal in the middle of the night. It's 10 p.m. I don't care. It could be 4 p.m. and the same rules would apply. But we're not even doing anything. I was just on my laptop. Again, I do not care. You're a minor traveling without a parent or guardian. You're under our protection and responsibility. His face lit up. Wait, so can I just leave? The woman's lips twitched. Young man, arguing with me is not helping. I can do this all night, and you won't be catching your flight. That seemed to hit a nerve. Grumbling, he got to his feet. This is so stupid. We're not babies. Yes, but in the law's eye, you are still a child, she said cheerily, and that makes you our responsibility. Shooting everyone a scowl, the kid pulled up the hood of his sweatshirt and ducked his head into feet. 
We had no choice. Standing up, I grabbed my backpack, heading through security. The place was empty, though I expected it. It was pretty late at night. The guy behind me was dragging his feet, and every time his sneaker squeaked on the floor tiles, I thought he was going to make a run for it. He didn't, though, so at least I wasn't lonely. As the woman led us through double doors and down a long, winding corridor, I expected him to try and at least attempt conversation, but when I turned to introduce myself, he was glaring at his phone, and I corked in his earphones, most likely to block me out. Where are we going? I couldn't help asking, after stumbling through the third automatic door. The place looked progressively more abandoned the deeper we found ourselves. My question was ignored, so instead of following the woman's heels click-clacking down a particularly eerie hallway, I came to a stop in front of a metal door. If she was going to ignore me, then sure, I could act like the child she thought I was. What's in there? I asked conversationally, pressing my face against rough metal. I was ignored, again. The boy, who I thought was the rebel of all rebels, twisted around. An impatient scowl curled on his lips. I'm pretty sure I would have been just as annoyed as him, but sitting in the terminal for almost half a day listening to the same song had messed with my brain. I had entered the airport a normal, average person with coherent thought. Hours later, I was a shell of myself, thanks to last Christmas. Now that I was free to walk around the back rooms of an airport at night, I felt a sense of childish exhilaration running through me. Unfortunately, my companion failed to share it. He just mumbled something under his breath and trailed after our guide like a sheep. Hey, I saluted him eager to make at least one friend in this crappy situation. What's your name? He scoffed. Why should I tell you? Why not? I'm Ruby. Guys, the woman's voice echoed back through the door at the end of the walk. If you waste my time, I will waste yours when it's time to board your flight. The sound of her click-clacking heels stopped. And yes, that means what you think. We can stop you getting your flight. For the first time since meeting him, private school kid and I seemed to finally meet a mutual agreement. He sent me a look of horror. They wouldn't, he said in a sharp breath. Would they? I can believe it. But that's illegal. They, they, they can't just, they just can't, they can't just keep us here. His age was starting to show. I nodded, gesturing down the hall. We should probably, I motioned for him to follow, and to my surprise, he nodded. Right. The two of us hurried to catch up with her and I pretended not to see the kid's trembling hands. The woman was waiting in front of a large metal door. Her smile was far too wide for me to trust, or maybe she just secretly enjoyed throwing us in isolation. I could hear yelling on the other side, screaming, maniacal laughter, kids. I don't know why I expected quiet holding cells, but it made sense, right? Stick us all in the same room and let us run hog wild. Something slammed into the door with a bang and the two of us jumped, but the guard didn't seem phased. I was starting to wonder if she had been driven to this, if she had been dealing with whatever was on the other side of the door. I didn't blame her attitude toward us. I caught private school kid's look. His eyes were wide, almost cartoonish. And here we are. Officially, it is the Children Traveling Alone Lounge, though we call it hell. Her lips quirked. For adults, that is. For kids? It's a playground. Think of it like a club. All of you share the same situation. You're all stranded here for the night, so I expect good behavior. We do not tolerate the following. Smoking, drinking, or substance abuse. 
also bullying, teasing, or threatening fellow passengers. There are activities available in sleeping bags if you want to sleep. If you need to leave the room for anything, please alert a guard and we will be happy to help you. She grabbed the handle and squeezed it, her eyes glinting. Do you have any more questions? When is our flight? I asked. He said it's tomorrow, but is there a specific time? She shrugged. I can't share that information until closer to the time. Though I'm estimating late afternoon, there's an engine issue. That didn't sound right. If the problem was the engine, why not put us on a different plane? But it's Christmas! The guy surprised me with a hiss. I could tell that he was upset and was trying to hide it. He gestured to the door, his lips twisting. It's Christmas and you're throwing us in there? I haven't seen my parents for a year. The holidays is the only time I can see them. I could see the lump in his throat. My mom, he whispered. She works all year round. I only get to see her two days a year. The guard inclined her head, her expression unwavering. Sweetie, I've heard that story 50 times today, she said with an eye roll. You would not believe some kids' imaginations. Do you know how many kids in there have terminally ill family members or pets they have to get to? Something crumpled in the kid's expression. I'm being serious. That's what they all say, she said with a light laugh. No, my mom. She cut him off. Some stories don't work with me, honey. Not after 20 years. The kid raised a brow. Maybe, he said. Or you're just an emotionless bitch. I caught the woman's lip twitch, and part of me wondered if she was going to risk her job and strike him. He didn't mean that, I hissed out. Grabbing his arm, I squeezed with just enough pressure to warn him to shut the heck up. It was like having an annoying younger brother. Still, though, the guard brushed off his words. With a grin splitting her lips apart, she pulled at the handle. Have a good night. Before I knew what was happening, the door was being yanked open and we were being violently shoved forwards. The guard's grinning face disappeared behind a loud bang. I thought she was going to follow us in, but clearly the woman wanted to get as far away as possible. It was like being thrown into a lion's den. I stumbled, almost tripping over a stray book which I guessed had been thrown at the door seconds before. At first glance, I was seeing exactly what I expected. A war zone. Kids. Everywhere. Mostly teenagers who had seemingly reverted back to having the minds of five-year-olds now that they had been put inside a locked room with nothing but a pathetic pile of comics and board games sitting untouched. There was no authority to judge them, and the high school hierarchy they usually followed was gone. It was Lord of the Flies without the... well, the death. Speaking of five-year-olds, there were only two littles, a girl and a boy sitting cross-legged on the floor their heads buried in an iPad. The two of them were unfazed by the fight going on behind them between two guys, or the group of girls caught up in some bizarre handshake ritual. There were three TVs mounted on the walls, all of them playing the exact same Christmas animation of a snowman sitting outside a log house. No other kid was paying attention to it, but the second I found myself looking at it, I couldn't look away. There was something in the window of the log house, a shadow, I could see it bleeding behind a blur of orange flames. Can you see this too? I whispered to PSK. You mean the snowman animation turning my thoughts to mush? He let out a shaky breath. Ruby, I can't move. Neither could I. Hey, private school kid was nudging me, 
but his voice felt and sounded a million miles away. I was aware of his clammy hand wrapping around my wrist, his fingernails slicing into my flesh. My sister came here a year ago. His voice bled into my ear. She came back different. Different? Yeah, different. His voice echoed in my skull. Lydia, she was. She was different, the boy said again, his voice slurring. It sounded like he was struggling to find words, to hold on to what he was saying. I, I, I can't recognize her anymore. Uh, my own, my own sister, she's, she's all I have and I, I, I need to find her. I, I need to, I need, I need to, I, I need. When the kid trailed off, I realized he was edging forwards like a zombie. Now fully aware, I couldn't look away from the animation on the screen. I could feel myself starting to panic. I could sense his too. His gaze had been captured. Whatever he had been meaning to say had been torn away. All of his attention glued to the animation. Just like mine, I felt it like a leech worming its way into my brain and taking hold slowly but surely. The snow in the animation suddenly looked too lifelike. The snowman's carrot nose twitched and the shadow grew bigger, peeking outside of the window. That was what had me, I thought. It was the shadow I was looking for. it, Searching for its origins, for a logical reason why it was there. And all the while I was starting to lose myself. My vision blurred. I felt my arms go limp by my side and my body sway to the left and then to the right. Started to follow private school kid, my mind starting to bleed into incomprehensible cotton candy when someone grabbed my shoulder and yanked me back. I didn't move. My gaze still glued to the screen, only half aware of a strip of metal being wrapped around my eyes, blocking out the animation. It wasn't enough to free my mind, but slowly I started to regain my spiraling thoughts. Blinking rapidly, I struggled to heave in gulps of air. I could still see the animation imprinted behind my eyes, clawing into my skull. Falling snow. A shadow I had to find. I had to find it. And with it came memories of bland-looking hallways. A children's home filled with little kids and my own room filled with wooden bunk beds. A middle-aged woman stood in front of me with a sympathetic eyes. I'm so sorry about your mom and dad, she whispered. Ruby, if there's anything I can do for you, just let me know. The woman pushed a glass of milk across a beaten wooden desk. I could hear her in my mind. She sounded real. It was perfect clarity. But I knew it wasn't real, because I'd seen my dad earlier that day. I had eaten breakfast at his kitchen table and laughed at stupid Hallmark movies with him. My dad was alive, so I was this thing, this sentient leech, trying to tell me otherwise. When I was conscious enough to know what was happening, I realized I was being dragged back and shoved into something soft. A beanbag? Once I could breathe again, my mind, my own, my hands instinctively went to tear off the blindfold. Hey, the girl's voice startled me. I could sense her in front of me, warm breath tickling my face. Are you stupid? Don't take the blindfold off. Someone scoffed, this time a guy with a British accent. Well, she's not very bright, is she? She's just scared. I felt the gaze of the girl's fingers playing with the blindfold over my eyes. Are you okay? I had to bite back a hysterical laugh. 
What kind of question is that? I want to know what's going on. First, I sensed her get closer. Tell us your parents' names. Something ice cold slid down my spine. What? You heard her, the Brit said. Your parents' names. For what? I demanded. We should call someone, right? The police? No signal in here, he deadpanned. Names. Now. I took a deep breath, blinking against the blindfold. My uh, parents are Cassandra and Adam Jameson. Good, the girl breathed. Keep hold of them. Repeat them in your head if you have to, and whatever you do, do not look at those screens. I thought back to private school kid's blank expression, his unblinking eyes. Why? Because, the brick cut in. Those things make you think you're an orphan. I stiffened up, remembering the false memories trying to take over my mind. Hey, the girl hissed. Lev, is it really that hard for you to be nice? I am nice, he grumbled back. It's not my fault she has a brain the size of a walnut. She let out a loud laugh. I heard the sound of flesh hitting flesh and a very quiet ow before she turned her attention back to me, prodding me in the forehead. Excuse Levi, I'm pretty sure this is his first proper social interaction in years. I don't think I've seen him smile once and we're only friends because he saved me. But yeah, he's right. If you didn't shield your eyes, you would have forgotten you had family too. That explained the presence I'd felt trying to claw into my brain. But that's... Majorly messed up? Yeah, we know. Makes me wonder. Why brainwash a bunch of unaccompanied minors into thinking they're orphans? I thought back to what private school kid said earlier. He had spoke of his sister who had come to this airport and returned home different. The guy I was with, I said. I think he knows something. He said something about his sister. He was looking for her. There was a pause. I could sense them looking at each other. You mean the kid in the uniform? Levi said. Yeah, I don't see him helping anytime soon. He was gone before I could cover his eyes. Damn. I'd already made an unspoken pact with myself to look out for him. Very true, Talia said. However, I am intrigued by him. Opening my mouth to speak, I jumped when the sound of the door opening almost sent me tumbling off the beanbag. I sensed Levi and Talia next to me, and then hands scratching at my face, struggling to pull off the blindfold. Don't look at the screen, Talia hissed in my ear, before the material fell away from my eyes. I was once again greeted with a large room full of older kids, and two littles who had dozed off on the couch. The teens were wide awake. However, their gazes glued to the doorway where a man dressed as Santa had emerged, two male guards dressed in black either side of him. Santa had guards, I thought dizzily. Why did Santa have guards? Shouldn't he have elves? Or at least, people dressed like elves? I didn't know why he was keeping up the Santa is real facade in front of a bunch of high schoolers. The only littles in the room were asleep. They turned Santa into a meth head. Levi, who was next to me, snorted. I risked a glance at him. He was exactly what he sounded like. A broad-shouldered British kid with bedhead hair and a permanent scowl. He looked like the type of kid with constant insomnia and a video game addiction. I did appreciate his Adventure Time sweatshirt, though. Sitting cross-legged on the floor in front of us was Talia, a redhead wrapped in a bright pink parka with her face buried between her knees. The Brit nudged her. Hey, he said under his breath. 
Levi mimicked the other kid's blank look. When she didn't respond, he poked her. Tal, Levi spoke with a forced grin. You're making it obvious. She lifted her head slowly, her gaze glued to her knees. The girl was trembling. Levi and Talia were right. Every kid in the room was in some kind of maniacal trance. The man dressed as Santa ordered us to form two lines in front of him, depending on whether we were on the naughty or nice list. I watched kids jump up and join each line with no complaint. When my name was called to the nice line, my stomach crawled into my throat. Part of me was hoping I wouldn't be on there. Ruby Jameson? Go, Talia murmured. If that's you, we have to keep a low profile. Then we'll make a run for it. Just act like the others. Not exactly reassuring, but I had to take her word for it. Jumping up, I maintained a bright smile, joining the line categorized as nice. Jude Whitlock? Private school kid jumped up from where he had been sitting cross-legged on the floor, quickly joining my line and bouncing behind me. I had only known him for a few hours, and I'd never seen him with so much energy. He looked almost high, and that was when he was under some mystical Santa mind control. Levi Parrish? Santa squinted at his dog-eared notebook before lifting his gaze, his smile widening. Nice. I expected Levi to ignore his name, but he joined the line too. I risked nudging Jude, and he actually met my gaze. Yeah? Your sister. Did you say you were looking for her? I don't have a sister. A shiver slid down my spine. Your mom? I tried again. You've been looking forward to seeing her all year. His expression didn't waver. I don't have a mom. See? Levi, who was standing behind Jude, said under his breath. He mimed, drawing his fingers across his throat. Gone! Talia jumped when her name was called with a grin, far too maniacal to look normal. I caught Levi wince, but they didn't seem to notice. By the time Santa was finished, we were two lines of ten standing in front of the door. Those two. The guard nodded to the little, still dozing on the couch. Will the king and queen accept them? Santa inclined his head. I have a dear friend who has been desperate for a younger human child. Put them with the others. Human? Did he say human? Risking a glance behind me, I caught Levi's wide eyes. What the hell? Talia's breaths were heavy. I think she was having a panic attack. She was our leader, I guessed. I waited for her to speak, to instruct us to do something, but the girl was frozen. All right, Santa announced, when the littles had been gently awoken and told to join the nice line. They did, their steps wobbly. Can the nice kids please follow me? Santa gestured down the hallway, and the others followed him like the Pied Piper. We're going to a special place. We had no choice but to follow him. Taking slow steps, I made sure to make distance between myself and the kid in front of me. As we were led back down the hallway, I noticed it was different, like a mimic of what I knew. But there were dips in reality that almost sent me to an abrupt stop. The hallway was sprouting grass and flowers and weeds of all colors. Even the air smelled different. Like I was breathing in fresh lavender. The airport we were in was abandoned, and I'd been abandoned a long time ago. Even the name was no longer there, covered in crawling ivy and trees which had broken through the ceiling. I was in awe. I definitely wasn't where I was supposed to be. It took me a while to notice my body was a lot lighter. 
If I concentrated, I swore my feet hovered slightly with every step. When we reached the terminal and then the main lobby, we were wading through plants sprouting through the ground which looked like they were dying. They felt like they were alive. Every time a flowering bud brushed my leg or leaves tickled my bare ankles, it felt like they were breathing air into my skin. Above us it was daylight. A bright sun shined down on us, but the plants were still dying. They were still curling up, buds disintegrating. I didn't understand the plants until we neared the exit, and it started to rain. I felt it warm and wet on my face, but rain wasn't supposed to be warm, right? Still, I kept going, following the others towards automatic doors covered in ivy, flowers sprouting around them. It wasn't until I saw a flash of red on my jacket did I notice the color of the rain. Red. Bright, ominous red. Unlike actual rain, it shone bright on my skin, trickling down my face and arms. Red rain. I watched it, sort of baffled, as rivulets hit my skin, trickling in tiny rivers. It looked like I was bleeding. No, like the sky was bleeding. Lifting my head, droplets and dotted my forehead, then my lips and eyes. I could taste it on my tongue, rusty coins. Something inside of me snapped, and I felt it like the spindly legs of a spider creeping its way up my spine. The sky was raining blood. Stumbling, I struggled to keep my facade. When we trapezed out of the airport into blinding sunlight, my shoes set foot on soft grass and flowers. Flowers which were coming to life. Spattered by intense red, whatever was falling, what was staining me, painting me in blood, it was bringing them back to life. Panic started to curl in my chest and gut. I risked a glance behind me, but I only caught Jude's wide smile. No sign of Talia or Levi. I looked again, but there was just Jude. It started to pour with red rain, but not just rain. Something hit the ground in front of me with a wet, meaty smack. I didn't register it was a head until I walked past it. I recognized the head of one of the naughty kids. Her eyes were still wide, lips split into a joyful smile. I wanted to scream. I wanted to cry. But something was stopping me. Maybe it was the gentle breeze which had picked up, blowing my hair from my eyes or the light giggles I could hear. Again I stumbled this time over a twitching tendril snaking its way across the ground. The world in front of me was not the city I knew. It was not bustling streets filled with late rush hour and late night shoppers. What I was seeing were winding roads covered in moss and ivy. I was seeing towering buildings which reached the clouds made of twisted branches. There was something I recognized. It was a bus. A bus from our world, but like everything else, it looked abandoned and wrong. I don't even think it had wheels. The bus was waiting for us on the edge of the sidewalk, and despite being soaked in bright red, I continued to walk, following the other kids as they hopped onto the bus one by one. The murmurs followed me, and the more I paid attention to them, their presence grew. They played with my hair, humming nursery rhymes my mother used to sing to me, and then ones of their own in a language I couldn't understand. But it was beautiful and melodic, something I wanted to listen to forever. In the corner of my eye, a light was blooming, and the closer I got to the bus, it glowed brighter. Those images were back. The children's home, 
wooden bunk beds and my own unhappy face. My mom and dad were dead. They died when I was 11. The light was slowly encompassing my vision. Words began to form in my mouth. I didn't have parents. My hair was tugged violently, their giggles growing shrill. I didn't have a family. Invisible hands shoved me forwards, and I felt myself lift into the air for the fraction of a second. Before my shoes touched down, I had no one. The words were a mantra. No family. No parents. I had no one. No family. No parents. I had no one. They had me. I could feel them. I could feel their prodding fingers, invisible feet kicking me and forcing me to go faster. Their presence was suffocating, and yet my mind told me I wanted it. I wanted them to push me further. Blinking rapidly, I was aware of Jude sidestepping past me and jumping onto the bus, his body disappearing in fraying light. Before I could follow them, a familiar hand grasped hold of mine and yanked me violently. I dropped onto my knees, and whatever had been buzzing around me, whatever had been playing with my hair and whispering into my ear, was gone. And then so was the bus. It was there one minute, bathed in glowing light so bright I had to shield my eyes, and then it was gone. Talia was kneeling in front of me. Her eyes were manic. Are you okay? She hissed out, grabbing my face. Hey, what was that? Instead of speaking, I wrapped my arms around her. Where did you go? I managed to get out. There were... There were these things. The girl pulled a face. We found out what they're doing to the naughty kids. I already knew, but I was still in denial of what I had seen. Also... Talia gently pulled me to my feet. I stumbled, tightening my grip on her arm. You should probably see this. See what? Talia took me halfway down the road, though she didn't have to pull me further for me to see it. Levi was strategically hidden behind a wall, pressed against it, and we joined him. What we were looking at was a cage. A huge wooden cage made up of twisted branches and vines, which moved like they were alive, twining around the structure. There was already a growing audience of heads bobbing around. They didn't look human, though I expected it. After all, we were in a different world. I glimpsed perfectly unblemished skin and pointy ears, willowy hair tangled with roots and flowers and vines, bare feet bouncing up and down excitedly on smooth concrete. Levi let out a breath and twisted around, dragging a hand through his hair. I'm guessing that's for us, he whispered, and the ones they took away on the bus. Talia nodded grimly. We should get out of here. Hey! Damn, Levi ducked, dragging us with him. You were saying? Three figures were coming towards us. I won't say they were human. Humans don't have faces both grotesque and agonizingly beautiful. This is where I'm going to stop writing in detail, both because I don't want to rewrite my experience and I'm running out of words. We weren't quick enough. Levi and Talia were snatched and dragged away, kicking and yelling, and I was about to join them before my attacker was knocked out from behind. Hey, it's okay, a youngish man said into my hair when I struggled against him. It's my job to get strays back home. Take it easy. Strays? Humans they give back, or adopted heirs who escape. But what about them? They're lost causes, kid, he grunted. Leave them. Before I knew what was happening, I was in the back of a cab-like car, 
and no matter how much I banged on the windows and screamed to be let out, the driver ignored me. It felt and looked like a cab, but again, I'm pretty sure it didn't have wheels. The driver called me a stray and asked if I'd been spat out of the kingdom. I wasn't alone in the backseat. There was a girl and a boy, my age or a little older. Both of them looked human, at least that's what their clothes suggested. The girl bore a dress ripped at her shoulders, and a tiara of roots and thorns glued to straggly hair. When she looked up at me from where she was curled up against the window, her eyes were hollow, cheeks gaunt. She was skeletal, while the boy was wrapped in the remnants of a varsity jacket clinging onto him. It looked like he too had once worn a crown. I could see smears of scarlet staining his forehead where thorns had scratched and torn at his flesh. In the late glow of the sun, I glimpsed a slit in his back, cutting into his flesh. Bandages wrapped around, pooling red. I didn't question it. I didn't question the burns on his face and arms. The man, or whatever he was, was true to his word. The three of us ended up back in the empty kids' lounge in our world. On Christmas Day, 2021, I saw an exact replica of myself greet my father. She had my smile, my voice, the perfect mimic. I watched them leave the airport, and my dad didn't say a thing. He didn't notice it wasn't me. So what did I do? Well, the other two strays abandoned me. They ran off before I could even speak to them. Ironically, I did end up in a children's home for the rest of my senior year. The thing with my face, with slightly pointy ears and a smile too big for her mouth, has taken my life. This Christmas, I found a surprise waiting for me when I got back from college class. A sign that they were going to follow me no matter what. My roommate lay dead in a puddle of water. A piece of parchment stuffed down her throat and standing in front of the window in my dorm room was a shadow bleeding into view. I recognized what was left of a school sweater hanging from a skeletal figure, a head of overgrown dark brown hair adorned with tangles of flowers, thorn and bone, twisted into a crown. Jude. The crown looked like it had been forced onto his head. I could see indentations and cuts where it had sliced cleanly into his flesh. Now, he didn't say anything. His lips curved into the first, genuine smile I'd seen on his face. Despite his smile, his body was battered and bruised, ink markings covering his arms and neck, fresh burns scalding the skin of his hands. He was gone before I could open my mouth, leaving me with my dead roommate and the note. Written in perfect calligraphy, words slightly smeared, was an invitation to the ceremony taking place this year. If I do not attend, they will come and get me themselves, and my roommate is the first casualty of my ongoing disobedience. I think they know I was somehow connected with Jude, and he too is paying the price. Does that mean the others are too? I wonder if I'm crazy enough to try and get them back. That's the end of the story. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, I'd love it if you'd like the video and subscribe for more. It'd really make me happy to see a comment too if you'd like to. Let me know what you thought of it, what you think of all the other stories, if you've listened to a few. But I just appreciate you being here on the podcast, YouTube, wherever you happen to listen. I really appreciate you. And if you'd like to support the channel uh, a little bit more, we do have a Patreon that you can join to just help uh, move the channel forward. And, and uh, well, it's a cool place to hang out. So 
there is that. Oh, in a Discord too. Don't forget about that. It's pretty chill though. You can hang out. Maybe not. Hey, it's, it's fine. This is also more or less related to uh, stories by Trash Tia about fairies. So if you do a search for uh, fairies on my channel, you should be able to find other a uh, couple other stories that are in the same sort of universe. They are more standalone than necessarily a series, but they all do work together as well as working on their own. So, hey, I just wanted to let you know that. Anyway, I appreciate you being here. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next one.